I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on a knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You are in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. That spider game sounds way cooler than manta rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. Hello, hello, hello. We're back. We are back. Not just you doing your own little solo thing this time, yeah. Oh, did I offend you? Were you offended? No, once the tears dried and the uh, you know the depression <laughs> lifted, then it, it wasn't so bad. How have you been, my friend? Good, great. Yeah, happy to be back. Happy to be back doing it. It's It's been a little while. We've had some complications and uh, missing microphone cords uh, yeah. that needed to be rush-ordered on Amazon to put this... Uh, to put this episode together, that is a plug for Amazon. Is, yeah, so feel free. hit us up with that money. Yeah, uh, well, I thought actually when you were saying complications, like don't flash, don't refer to your marriage as a complication. But uh, <laughs> that that also has happened in between listeners. So I I, uh, I don't know Flash. Obviously, I think we told you before, but Flash did get married. I uh, before we dive in, I actually just want to say thank you. Um, it was lovely to come and visit your great country again, and also to. To witness somebody actually wanting to marry you, I, I, I didn't ever think it would happen, to be honest, but it did. I didn't get eaten by bears, despite your best attempt to take me into the woods and get me killed yeah. by one. Um, I didn't see any mountains. By all accounts, people, Kanda has amazing mountains, but I did not see a single mountain while I was there. I saw a lot of fog. Um, yeah. And some snow, which was, which was cool. Um, he took me into the woods. I didn't become a lumberjack. To, uh, you know, I could have maybe tick that Canadian box. <laughs> uh, but I also had the joy of meeting your family. And I, I know some of your family listen to this. So I, I just want to say thank you. I, I don't think I've ever met a family that made me feel quite so welcome. So it's really nice. So thank you to to you and to them. You, you come from good stock. That's what I'll say. Oh, wow. Thank you very much, man. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, yeah, we had a good time. And good. married life is great. Good. Oh, and we also met some listeners as there. It was it was odd to be a bit of a celebrity. <laughs> that doesn't normally happen. Yeah, the, yeah, it turns out the, the three or four listeners are all uh, close yeah. to the Van Curdon circle. So, so, yeah, I, it was accosted several times on the dance floor by uh, by listeners. And normally when I'm accosted on the dance floor, it normally follows a headbutt coming my way and a kicking the nuts on, yeah. on the floor. So it was nice to actually to have a, a nice handshake and a pat on the back. So uh, thank you, listeners, for... Uh, Going easy on me. Well, hey, man. It was a blast. Uh, glad you could make it. Um, and glad that we're back doing this. It's, it's been a little bit. Things have been crazy. But let's get back to doing what we do mediocrely well. Well, and it's funny you should do that. So to get us back into the swing of things, I thought we'd go back to a story we've kind of covered a couple of times or a topic we've covered a couple of times. Um, so blockchain. 
uh, yeah. that well-known cryptographic um, software, I guess, behind Bitcoin, famously. Um, but I guess, uh, and the, there's a bit of a Canadian link here, Flash. Um, yeah. Blockchain. Oh, I like what you've done there. Nice bit of Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> blockchain for cannabis. Another topic I love. Well, <laughs> and I love a good, you know, I love a good 128-bit encryption. So, uh, yeah. So we're, we're both getting what we want. Yeah, out of it's this. floating both our boats. So, yeah. So basically, they're looking at using blockchain to track cannabis sales in Canada when, uh, will it be widespread legalized or is it being done by province? How is it? Um, no, apparently. Well, the government has promised that by 2018 or sometime in 2018, it's going to be legal nationwide. Right. You'll be able to get BC's finest across the nation. Okay. Well, so yeah, so this is where this story came from. So the British Columbian government, uh, BC, um, they're having a public consultation at the moment on the legalization. So I guess how they're going to manage it, I guess. Um, yeah. And it comes into effect and I think in July. Just I think to jump in there, they BC will probably be, I mean, like the stereotype BC's finest. This is where like a lot of black market weed already comes from. Okay. They're the province that is kind of really, like if you go to Vancouver, they're basically selling legal weed out of dispensaries um, without permission. They basically said, this is happening. We're doing it. So, you know, you can't shut us all down. And it kind of forced legislation because the city government basically said, we're not dealing with this anymore. So the higher up levels have to get up on board or get on board and do something about it because it's just it's happening. So let's just do it. So BC is really like, I think, one of the testing grounds. Um, So it's not surprising that they're, you know getting ready for right. this but it's it is a it is a pretty like there's a lot of startup companies and a lot of people in Canada right now sort of scrambling for when the doors open right. you know when the when the law is passed to be the first to market and have the best thing so interesting to that they've decided to incorporate blockchain i guess yeah so ibm has floated the idea i, I think as part of this public consultation ibm published a, a four page white paper or proposal about well, you could use blockchain to basically track from, they say, from seed to sale. So track it through yeah. every part because obviously, you know, there are going to be some people that, as, you know, as you've implied with the black market, that are going to want to try and intercept shipments or, you know, filter in shipments from non-legal sources. Um, so the idea yeah. of using the blockchain would be so that you've got a secure digital ledger all the way through so you can you can track every step of the process. Yeah. Um, and they were saying, obviously, you know, it makes it a bit more secure. You know, blockchain is obviously ultimately secure, hard to hack into, and it keeps the data secure for both users and growers and things. You could track yeah. secure and and yeah, somewhat yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you can you know, and the idea is that you'd you'd confirm it from you know from seed. Yes, it's been legally grown. Yes, we've paid all our taxes. Yes, we've been paid by the consumer. Um, and there's been no infiltration at any point along the supply chain. Um, yeah. What I found was really interesting is um, IBM threw this proposal out, but then they also threw in examples of where blockchain's being used already. And I know we've touched on this a little bit. So there's a company called Everledger um, that are already using blockchain to track diamonds from the mine to the jewelers. Um, right. So you can guarantee that you've got the bloodiest diamond. Yeah. You know, whether you want a blood diamond or a non-blood diamond and how pure or clean yeah. you want that. Um, 
so I thought that was interesting. And then um, the one that really upped out to me was uh, Walmart have done an experimental um, rollout of blockchain tracking their supply chain, their food supply chain. So specifically for meat. So tracking from farm all the way through the slaughtering process to the meat shelf, basically, so that they can show that, you know, their meat is clean. It's been, you know, it's been administered drugs or antibiotics. It's been done so in a responsible fashion. It's adhered to any withdrawal periods that it needs. And then throughout the entire yeah. supply chain, so that you're not getting, you know, again, black market meat come in or like the horse meat scandal in Europe a few years back. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, like, is there black market meat? Like, does that even happen? And then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it, did yeah it did in Europe yeah. with the horse meat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so interesting, you know, and they, they've only been running that on the pilot scale. But interesting that, you know, this technology that, you know, started as a currency, you know, the, the technology behind Bitcoin is now starting to see other uses yeah. creep in, which I think you actually predicted when you first did the blockchain story of other other uses so i think we should stake yeah. a claim and take some credit for this <laughs> maybe there's a dollars we made i'll take a credit i'll take credit in that when i first talked about it i heard another dude talk about it that said it's going to move into all these different areas <laughs> but uh yeah no for sure i mean like that that is what we what you know when i brought the topic up that's what like you know got my interest in it was i'd, I'd heard about bitcoin i knew vaguely what that was but it wasn't until i understood that it was this crazy you know um technology behind bitcoin that's the real story that's the real story is you know the the technology that makes bitcoin that yeah. allows bitcoin to exist you know and now it's it's spreading out into i think we talked about it going into you know passports like id you know medical, medical records, records like yeah. this is the stuff that we've all discussed if this is the first time you're hearing about it go back and listen to other episodes so we're not going to re-explain it all again no well especially now that they're all on itunes and stitcher and you know, yeah, yeah all it's, these easily available formats so get downloading people nice i like that um yeah but it's uh it makes sense for these kind of things like if you want if you need to guarantee purity of a product and by god we all want the purest weed don't we <laughs> Spoken you know, like we a, want that good shit. Spoken <laughs> like a true user there, Flash. Well done. <laughs> uh, allegedly, it's not legal in Germany. Um, but uh, this is this is what this is what I was going to say. It makes sense from a regulatory standpoint yeah. and stuff. But does does the consumer really care? Like like you know like what? they're not the IBM and all that. They're not like billing this to what. Like I could see with the blood diamond thing, you know. Well, I guess I the consumer does. We just you know, rolled past it, but well, it wasn't that funny joke. Um, <laughs> I'll do the comedy if you don't mind. You you do the serious science stuff. You're the one qualified, Flash, and I'll just do the comedy. I think that's the division of labour right, that right. the listeners have come to expect, <laughs> and certainly one that I'm expecting. Um, but yeah, no. I, well, I I would assume that consumers would because obviously, if you're you know, it, presumably, if it's going to be a legalised product, it's going to be to a set standard. You know, there would be some sort of regulatory you know it has to contain this much i can't remember what's it what the label says has to be what it is yeah yeah so it has to be of a certain purity or whatever so you don't want black market supply coming in a bit like the counterfeit drug world and that was another potential use they were talking about in the pharmaceutical world of you know track and trace all the way through from pharmaceutical manufacturer right the way through to you know doctors prescribing and end user 
So could you that, you know, are you ensuring the quality of the product and the, you know, the potency of the product to ensure that you're getting a consistent product all the time? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for me. I'm just saying. What are you saying, Flash? Regular, regular Joe Blow Canadian, of which I represent, (laughs) you know, this is my demographic. Uh, When I go to pick up my legal weed, you know, and they're going to be like, what do you want? You know, Bahama Mama, Purple Haze, whatever it may be. You know, am I going to check the, am I going to look and be like, is this, you know, where did this come from? You know, I'm, I'm basically just assuming that it's, it's all right. kosher, you know, just like your beer, just like your cigarettes, just, you know, whatever, whatever else it is. So I get that it's like, it's good for regulatory because then any sort of regulatory enforcement agency can come and and easily and easily look like that to me is the thing but i was just wondering like when they wrote this up were they kind of billing it it was bill it they were like selling it ibm specifically selling it kind of to the to the no to the companies not being like your customers are gonna love this well yeah no, no i don't think it'd be that i think it i i would imagine the primary driver will be let's ensure you've paid the tax on this yeah um so I imagine, government. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, you've got to pay for this technology somehow. But, yeah. yeah, for me, an interesting use of, you know, technology creeping into to that and then the many uses of it. So probably not the last we're going to hear. innovative. Yeah. Ooh. Innovative use, we'll say. But, and and it, it makes sense in the meat thing and the, and the diamond thing. I was saying it's like, because, yes, people will vote with their dollars on that one right like they'll be like i want you know i want to know that this meat went through these farms because i know that these farms are ethical whatever blah 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 put whatever thing you want on it the diamond thing too i want to know that it's you know some kid didn't die harvesting this thing just think with weed but then yeah especially weed in canada people are going to be like i know who made this it's the same people who've been making it for the last 15 years (laughs) yeah yeah i think you're right i don't to me, I would imagine it's not the end consumer. It's going to be that retailer, or whatever, is able to give that assurance to customers, police authorities, yeah. regulatory agencies to say, "Yeah, we've tracked this all the way through, and we're not we're not yeah. going in the back and slipping our own bits in." So, yeah, and I, I, I do think it's actually you know maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong because you know there is the big issue right now especially on the west coast in british columbia in in the city of vancouver of drug purity with fentanyl and fentanyl deaths and stuff like this so i think there is when they roll out the weed legalization plan um and scheme there will be an emphasis on purity and making sure what the label says it actually is you know and, and and this has been an issue in other places that have legalized weed, Colorado, Washington, these you know these places in the U.S. are doing it, especially with the edible weed, because it's you know what what how much purity is in there, how much weed is actually in there, nobody really knows. It's kind of a crapshoot, you know. So it's like you might buy a brownie, you know, or, or say like in Amsterdam or something, you go to these pretty shady looking <laughs> coffee shops and you buy a brownie, but it's like well one batch could be stronger than the other. So I think the using this to be like we know that this came from this uh, manufacturing process and should have X number of grams of marijuana in it or whatever is there will be an emphasis on that yeah. for sure in Canada. I think that'll be because that's also one of the things that politicians have used to push the 
the idea of legalization is like, look, at, this is one of the benefits is that we know where it came from and we know how, what it is, you know? So, yeah, man, that's cool. Yeah. So I'm going to try and I'll buy, I'll buy blockchain weed. <laughs> blockchain certified. So we're going to try and find a segue here from this into the next story. So if you're, you're smoking cannabis, then obviously people can tend to smell that on your breath. And that brings us into the next story. A breath test for malaria. So not as fun as smoking cannabis, but well, mal- yeah. malaria. Yeah. Yeah, not that fun. But maybe, you know, maybe you would see the fun side if uh, you suffer from malaria, you're in a third world and there's no other test for it. But um <laughs> you know, I think the idea of breath tests, obviously, you know, I guess when people say breath test, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, the drink driving test that's obviously been around for yep. years. Um yep. but I know there are tests in um, I'm not sure there are any licensed, but I know there are tests and trials for being able to smell cancer and things and certain types of cancers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this would be a breath test for malaria. So there's a team of researchers based in um, St. Louis at Washington University that basically the the theory is that malaria patients have a breath print, they call it. Um, and they've done a small trial in Africa in 35 children where they got about a 33% accuracy rate. So about 29 out of the 35 kids um, showed up as positive on the on the, the test. And then when they did blood tests and confirmed it, they, they were actually positive. There's biochemistry within the breath of a malaria patient. There are several um, parts that make up the breath print. Um, and they're trying to work out what they they all are. And they obviously, they must have an idea if they've done this, this trial, but the paper didn't go into too much detail. But the one that they they did offer up is um, there is an odor that it sniffs out, which is um, identical to the natural smell that occurs in certain plants. So what the researchers have said that pine trees and conifers in particular um, emit, uh, it's called terpene. Um, So it's a kind of attractant. And the idea is that it summons pollinating insects in to basically say, hey, look, I'm over here, come and pollinate me. And then obviously, you know, push my progeny along and, you know, I can have happy other trees yeah. elsewhere. Ooh, come and pollinate Yeah. Me. You try saying that on a dance floor. Um, <laughs> so the um, the theory is that people that are infected by the malaria par- parasite emit this attractant, one of these type of terpene-type chemicals, and that attracts the insects. Now, the theory behind that is if you're infected with malaria, you breathe out you attract more mosquitoes, they come, they feed off you, and then they spread the disease. So the theory is that the parasite, the malaria parasite, is actually admitting this to try and further its own spread. Now that, that I think we can touch on, because I think, you know, that's probably right up your alley, Mr. Mr. Zombie Ant Parasitologist. Um, but an interesting one, obviously the benefit of using a breath test is it's non-invasive. A lot of these kids that are infected, or adults even that are infected, are in rural areas where... You take a blood sample, you then have to take that blood back to the lab and do tests on it. Um, yeah. It's warm, it doesn't survive, whereas a breath test is bang, it's quick, it's instant, uh, and off you go. So, yeah, an interesting one. You know, you get stopped at the side of the road. Have you been drinking, sir? No. Do you have malaria? Well, let's do a quick test and see. <laughs> Which is worse? Am I going to get busted for drug driving or having fucking malaria? Well, and then, then um, you could maybe show your blockchain to show that the cannabis that you've been smoking is of a low enough purity yeah. that you're still safe to drive. But, you know. That's right. That's right. 
interesting story. Um, I think the obvious, like if it works and it seemed like they had a pretty good efficiency rate, like I don't know what that efficiency, how that matches up to the, you know, the standard test that they have already. But uh, like you say, because a lot of people are in rural areas where there is no lab, you know, this could be a really great um, diagnostic tool to get treatment. You know, you know exactly who needs treatment rather than just going to these villages and just giving everybody treatment, which is expensive and doesn't work and drives up resistance and all these things. So it's great. And that thing, um, is malaria actually doing this to propagate its, its spread or further its spread? Mm, That's a, that's a stretch. And I, this is a bit of a sticking point with me. You know, uh, I'm going to, get into it a little bit here because I think that like a lot of times, especially with these parasite stories, people are so quick to jump to, Ooh, the parasite it's, it's doing something to, you know, it's got this crazy little thing that it's evolved or it's got this sinister thing that it's doing to, you know, enhance its spread and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, well, is there really any proof that, that that is what it's going on. So they say that it's where humans are. One of the things that this test is, is picking up is this terpene, terpine, terpene, whatever it is. Now, does that naturally occur in the body? I, I don't know in the human body. I don't know. Is it actually terpene that the thing is picking up or is it a terpene like, right? Yeah. You know, chemical, it could be, you know, a couple oxygen, you know, base pairs or not base pairs, but, you know, a couple oxygen groups different when you look at the chemical structure of it all, you know, and maybe it it looks like that, but it, who knows if it even smells like that, you know, like what, and what is it that attracts insects? You know, what it is, what is it about terpene that attracts insects? What is the receptor that that's hitting in insects? They don't have noses as far as I know, but they have something that would pick up on pheromones and these kind of things. So, until you know exactly what that is and then compare it to whatever this breath test is picking up, it's a pretty big jump to say, oh, well, it must be the malaria doing it to yeah, attract I- more insects. Plus, not even to, to mention that the mosquitoes are already attracted to the CO2 in your breath. We know this. That's yeah. what they come to. So mosquitoes are already coming in. So you would have to have somebody with malaria in a in a in a room with somebody without malaria have them both breathing you know with their mouths wide open and see who the mosquitoes come to more like like there's so many steps you would have to go through to do it and it's just it just kind of it just brad it just it just gets my goat a little bit you know well has your has your goat got malaria because maybe that's why it's got your goat but yeah i the re the reason behind it yeah who knows maybe you know maybe the parasite is clever maybe it's not if it is the parasite being clever i think that's a great story you know um but if it's that's exactly it it's a great story that's why people say it without knowing right but then uh, you know let's not get into the whole evolution debate but i think a lot of evolution we we sort of speculate oh that's why we you know we have this because evolutionary wise, it you know makes us more able to do X, Y, and Z. But anyway, yeah, I think there's obviously yeah, no, it's true, and there are some people that are more affected by or more attractive to mosquitoes, I guess, or biting insects than than others. So, is it a pheromone? Is it 
the smell of their sweat, you know, is there something, is there something else? Is there another chemical that's attracting them? But just interesting that that's one of the things that they're investigating as part of this breath test is this, this terpene theory that, you know, we're breathing out pine tree scent and that's attracting in, in mosquitoes. But yeah, interesting. And as you said, I think, you know, there's obviously going to have to be a lot of work on, you know, what's the sensitivity test, sensitivity of the test and, you know, yeah, okay, in 35 children, they've, they've got a fairly good hit rate, but it's still not perfect. So obviously a long way to come, but an interesting step forward, you know, potentially could you train dogs to sniff for it rather than have a, a chemical analyzer? Who knows? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, yeah, not to not to take away from the the practical application of it. Like no, you you peed on that, my bonfire that... flash. It's fine. You know, I've come, <laughs> I've come which I think is an interesting story with a nice little tail to it, uh, and you just peed all over it. So thanks for that. It's fine. Well, I was just going to say I got a bone to pick with whoever fucking wrote that paper and said you know had to throw that had to throw that thing in there had to throw that little piece in at the end. It's like you have a nice little technology that works. Why you know take but then we could get into the whole, well, they got to try and sell their research and they got to justify their research dollars. So having this sexy little headline in there about so just, you know, like I said, it's it's a bit of a sore spot. And I know there's probably like people out there listening, just be like, get over it. Who cares? <laughs> you know, it's a cool story. Shut up. Well, and but, I, I know, might be one of those people, Flash, but, you know. <laughs> Don't let that me put me you off. Might you know, be, you, but we'll never well, know. Well, indeed, but you know, I. It was a parasite story, and I thought you know, rather than do some physics or astrophysics where you and I really get excited but flounder because we don't have a clue, I thought I'd bring some parasitology into the mix. So, you know, at least one of us uh, has a clue on parasitology. Um, but you know, you pissed on my bonfire, so thanks for that. It's fine. Okay. Well, let me try and. Uh you know, raise your spirits then again, because I have a true, a true zombie parasite story Ooh. that we should, uh, that we should discuss. Um, this is about the zombie ants that people are so familiar with. Well, you especially um, you have your own blog, don't you? I did. Yeah. Well. It's been, uh, it's been pretty, uh, neglected over the last little bit. Let's just say that. <laughs> You've been kind of busy, but, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> okay, Doctor Flash. Right, carry on. Zom- <laughs> zombie ants, part two. Tell me. Yeah, so this is this is the zombie ant fungus, and I could go on another rant about how this zombie ant fungus isn't nearly as good as the zombie ant system that I did my PhD work on, but I'll save it for another day because this is the one that people actually know about. It was really made famous, I think, from the Planet Earth series. BBC, David Attenborough. You're welcome. Um, yeah, thank Why am I thanking you? I, hey, because I pay my license fee every month to sponsor programs like that. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you. I mean, thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> they also do a series of educational topics on the English language and how to speak properly. To you should maybe try that. But anyway, we digress. Zombie ants with fungus. We certainly do. Yeah, so this is the one where it's uh, tropical jungles. This The spores of this fungus uh, land on top of an ant. Uh, they get inside the ant and they, they float around in the ant and, uh, and then start to grow. 
into the mushroom of the fungus, right? And, and then the ants, what happens to them is they start acting weird and they will climb up uh, plants and, and they'll go, I think they've like measured it to it's like 25 centimeters. Like they go to base, like more or less 25 centimeters, not higher, not less. And they lock on to the underside of a leaf um, uh, with their jaws. And then they wait there and the fungus eventually grows throughout the body of the ant and bursts out of its head. And that's where the, the spore forming part of the fungus is. Uh, and then yeah, when it's ready to disperse, they disperse into the wind and rain down on all the, any other ant that's passing by, uh, and therefore infects them. So they think that it goes to like this underside of a leaf, 25 centimeters high, because it's the right conditions for maximum dispersal and for growth. And then that ant also is less likely to get picked off by like a bird or something like that, right? Um, so the fungus, as the story goes, is is driving this whole thing. The, the fungus has taken over the ant and is causing it to go, you know, bugger off from its ant duties and go and, and cling on to this, this leaf and then wait, just wait to die, basically. So we've known about this thing. It's been pretty well studied. Um... And it's and it's a fascinating fascinating story, but uh, as it turns out, it gets even weirder. Dun, dun, so dun. when you think of this, yeah, that's right. Thank you. I'm just trying to build it up a little. You know, we 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 don't have proper sound effects. So I'm just trying to, you know, help us yeah, out there. Good job. Yeah. Good job. Good job. So when when you, when you think of this story, you think, okay, this fungus must be must be taking over the brain of the ant, right? Like it, like it's got to be. Getting into the, you know, I have pictures of like fungus, you know, entrails kind of like grooving into the ant brain and sort of manipulating it in some way. And so we would, we that the, the, what you would think is that the brain would be totally taken over by fungus or destroyed or whatever, right? It turns out it's not. The brain is not even touched in this. And so they've done some really interesting you know, work, uh, brought together a lot of different fields to kind of figure this out. So what they did was they had these ants that were infected with this fungus and they meticulously sliced them like slices that are like 50 nanometers thin. So just these tiny, tiny, tiny slices and they just, they sliced like them. Carpaccio and then, ant. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And then uh, they scanned each of these slices um, using a microscope and, you know, this technology basically put it into a computer where they were able to then recreate a 3D model. I mean, it's similar, you know, medical imaging technology does this kind of stuff all the time. Um, I guess you can't, maybe you can't not, put an ant into an MRI, I guess. But Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I know they do this when they're looking at, um, uh, neuroscientists do this when they want to make 3D images of a brain. They'll remove the brain, slice it up, and then you can take, scan it and put it all back together to create this 3D thing. Right. So they do that. And then they had some some poor grad student or postdoc that whose job it was was to go through like each slice and each section of the model and determine which cells and which like parts of the inside of the ant were actually ant and which were fungus because they wanted to see where the fungus was growing, what it was doing to the inside of the ant body. Um, and so I guess, and I'm not surprised, this is a really tedious, terrible job 
I think they said for like one section of ant muscle, it took like three months uh -huh. to determine like exactly what was. So then they reached out to um, computer scientists who work with AI and machine learning algorithms. And they trained a machine learning algorithm to do this work for them, which is just kind of an interesting aside. Um, so they were able to use artificial intelligence to get to the bottom of the mind manipulating zombie ant fungus. Like that's just, you want to talk about a headline. It's way better than malaria is making your breath smell like pine needles. Wow. Does it really? No. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's got the headline of zombie ants, which, you know, I'm guessing is probably going to outsell, you know, my, yeah. my breath smell, smells of an airwick, but you know, that's right. So here's here's the interesting thing now too. So they did all this, like, and they were able to determine what was what was fungus and what was ant, and they found that the brain was totally intact. Like, so the the fungus didn't touch the brain at all, but it actually like spread out into the rest of the body. Like, it went through all the muscles and stuff. It started as just this one tiny spore that gets into like the the liquid goo inside of an ant and just sort of floats around in there. That's the technical term. Yeah, I thought so. Floats around in there and then it starts to multiply and, you know, and kind of branch off. And like fungus, like fungus is a crazy type of organism. It's not plant. It's not animal. We don't really know what it is, but it branches off and makes all of these networking connections to make like more like a super organism. So each part is kind of its own thing, but they all work together. So the, the fungus spores the are connected to each other? Yeah. So they start branching out and connecting to each other, forming a network that can exchange nutrients and, you know, other chemicals. So somehow maybe communicating with each other in this thing. Right. And so it's it's forming like a super organism, kind of like ants do, you know, like ants in the colony, you could... Look at them as all one big thing because they're all working towards the same goal. They all do different functions. That's basically like what this fungus is. And it's going through the whole body. Um, so it's like the, the ant in the end ends up being more fungus than ant. But it still has its brain intact, which leads you to think that it is like it somehow the fungus needs the brain to be intact because it would probably need those... Um, the sensory capacity to know how high up in the air I am, what's the humidity, is this a good spot to cling and right, stuff like yeah. that. But yet it's somehow still controlling the movement of the ant. So what the 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 guy who studies this, he's famous guy in in these circles, David Hughes, he's been studying this stuff forever. He kind of had oh, these ideas. David, that it's yeah, like, David. I don't know. I don't yeah, know who you David know. is. <laughs> um that it, it, it could literally be like a puppet master, like the fungus that is in the muscles and in the legs and stuff of the ant is actually controlling those muscles. So it's not somehow telling the brain to control the muscles, the fungus that's like intertwined within the muscles and the rest of the ant body is actually doing the pulling the strings, causing it to contract, making it move, you know, and it's, that's just like, such a creepy creepy thing to think about that it's like your mind is still still conscious still intact there. but you're just like my arm is moving and i can't stop it because my muscle is now more fungus than it is muscle you know like the only thing that's left of me 
is just what the fungus needs. Like it's it's taken over all of all of their space and left only essential functions intact. You know, like it's really like a, the 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 journalist who wrote the article I read about it had a great you know um, line, and it was something like, you know, the the fungus is 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 in the in the uh, driver's seat but the ant brain is still behind the wheel or something like this so it's like yeah it's just it's it's yeah it's really it's really interesting so you know the the neurons that control the ant muscles start to die around the fungus so it's like it basically cuts off connection to the brain so it's like this muscle is no longer messages so yeah it's not getting conflicting messages. It's just, it's, it's, you know, and it's, so they think that it's, it's maybe like the, it, yeah, it basically cuts out the brain. Like it kills off all connections of the body to the brain and then actually secretes the, the, the stimulus that would make the muscles move. But, and then it, yeah, it might still be using somehow sensory input from the brain to know where it's going, to know if this is a good spot to be. And that is just, that's just fucking wild. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, A, that partly terrifies me. But B, then I also think, is there a way we can utilize that? Is there a way we can control the fungus in people that are paralyzed to maybe have them controlled by, thought of that. have them controlled by a fungus? You just like squirt fungus into the paralyzed guy. Yeah. But then you'd have to have some way to, yeah. So it's like, yeah, you don't need. Uh, well, I, you know, I guess, you, I guess it'd be yeah, like a carrot and a stick. You squirt it into the paralyzed guy, and you just wave a twenty-five centimeter branch in front of him. And he's like, oh, hello. Yeah, he's <laughs> just <laughs> walking like thunderbirds, <laughs> trying to get that. For those, for those of the those of you that are listening, and are obviously part of this video chat that we're doing, Flash and I are doing like a thunderbirds esque <laughs> dance with our yeah, arms, a mar- marionette yeah. style. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, could is there a you know if you could find what's controlling how the fungus is controlling the body, then can you find a way to control the fungus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's that's the essential link though, right? Like is what is the communication? Because there must still be communication between the brain and the fungus, right? Unless the fungus has its own sort of brain, I guess. You wouldn't call it a brain, but it'd be like the fungus would need to know where to go right like it has to know yeah or does the fungus yeah as you said does the the fungus just secrete something that hits some receptor in the brain or fires some neuron in the brain that says i need to climb a leaf i need to stop here i need to bite you know well but that's what it seems like it doesn't do because it's it's cut off connection from the muscles and stuff so just telling the brain find this location isn't enough right because it's cut off the neurons to the muscles so it's like i'm taking control of the limbs but what it needs from the brain is eyes you know some kind of a you know temperature sense yeah some kind of a humidity sense so you know these sort of the senses you know that's what the fungus needs unless the fungus somehow has its own apparatus for doing that and it just cuts out the brain completely and it's just like i know where i need to go yep. i can find my way i've hijacked your muscles so i'm just going to move you to where i need to be or is it like i don't want you to have any control over the muscles so i've stopped that but i still need you to you know 
feel what temperature it is, know how high we are, yeah, keep know that yeah, I can keep, climb, a, you know. keep us alive until yeah. such time that I can explode your brain or head in this case. Yeah. So, and, and that's the part that they don't know. Like, that's what we don't know. So that's where the, you know, sort of missing link, I guess, still is. But that's the fucking, that's the wild, the really wild part. And that's why, as you say, it's like, okay, so you want to, you want to use this to control a person or say someone who's lost control of their limbs, this fungus can, we know that it can cause muscles to fire and stuff, but how do you, how do you get that connection yeah. between brain? You know, how do you, how do you know, how do you tell the fungus when to do the muscle movements, right? Or, or is the fungus just going to, it knows what it wants to do somehow. So that's, it's either that, or there's some communication going on in the brain, or the fungus has some kind of a brain-like apparatus or something that's able to guide it, yeah. you know, whether it's temperature sense, some kind of, you know. And this just goes to like how fucking crazy fungus is. And we're, and we're not just talking a, magic mushrooms. Well, that's just one small part of it. You know, like these, like this is like we could do a whole podcast on fungus and how weird it is. Like, I don't think people really like I like I've told people about this, like when I found out about it, that like we like fungus isn't a plant, like mushrooms aren't plants. So I was like, oh, they must they're just plants. Right. It's like, no, they don't do photosynthesis. Yeah, they're totally different. Fungus needs to eat stuff. So it eats things. Yeah. That's why they, you know, that's why they're part of the decomposition of things and like molds and stuff like, but they're not animals because they have some plant-like characteristics. Yeah. Like it's sort of a, so fungus is its own, you know, when you look at the kingdom of life, virus, bacteria, plants, animals, and then fungus. fungus. And, well, you know, Flash, I like to think I'm a pretty fun guy. Oh God, I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to get that joke in since we started talking about this story. Yeah, okay. That what well, well, what I will say is thanks for you know stopping me from sleeping tonight because I'm going to be you know looking around the room for bits of spores and mold that's going to take over my body and essentially have me killed. So thanks. Well, for that. the good thing is we don't have any mind control fungus for humans. The bad thing is if you do get some well, kind of we? weird fungal we infection, it's going to be bad. <laughs> next next time I get athlete's foot, I am just chopping that fucker off. Yeah. Take no chances. I'm not I'm not taking the risk. It's not worth it. Well and it is like this 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 system, this cordyceps fungus that that attacks these ants was the inspiration behind um a, a pretty popular video game that's called The Last of Us. And it's about, you know, this zombie spore fungus that gets into people and so it's basically a zombie game. But the, the cause of the zombies is this fungus spore thing. And this guy, David Hughes, this uh, researcher, he was like a consultant on that video game. And I think he was also a consultant on the World War Z movie. They brought him in right. to talk yeah. about like, you know, if, a, you know, some kind of a virus disease sort of thing, you know, what might its evolutionary track be and, and this kind of thing. So it's like this this stuff does obviously bleed into you know, popular culture. I mean, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. How old is that movie, you know? Yeah, good film. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. And then it's like come to find that, yeah, you know, something this crazy really does exist. And it was like, we knew the fungus thing, but then you add this level onto it. And it's just like, wow. It's a different story. It just gets even weirder. Well, literally, mind blown and not just for the ant. (laughs) 
Are we sure? See, that's what I do, Flash. I bring the comedy. You bring the science. Say, that's the way this relationship say, are works. You sh- are you sure we have the jobs right? Like, I don't, like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to... I'm going to move this on quickly. We've been going... I'm going to quickly squeeze in my last story and then I, I want to... I think we should end on your um, Dr. Frankenstein-esque type yep, story. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so I quickly want to uh, slip in and that is a great joke as you'll find out when I start telling the story. If you have uh, to explain editing. the joke before you forget... Like, so you're doing it all wrong, man. Well, yeah, but I can't just if I, I can't then backtrack in, in you know five minutes time go and remember at the start of this segment when well, I was then saying, just we'll then just, just let it in. go. Well, yeah, but I can't do that. You know, I need to point out you know because we have some highbrow listeners, but we also have some you know for want of a better word retarded listeners out there. So I just like to spell it out for them. That's all. So anyway, no, right. Let's get the story done and then we can move on to the big finish, uh, which is the first time that your wife said that in a long time. So gene editing. So, gene editing's been around for a little while, and I, I don't think we've talked about it, but there's been stories uh, in the news recently, mainly um, with like bone marrow transplants and things. So you actually take the bone marrow out of somebody that has maybe leukemia. Um, you apply some sort of gene therapy, gene editing, to correct what the underlying issue is, and then you put that back in the body, and hopefully, hey presto, you've cured the disease. But actually, this week... Um, is the first time that that's ever been attempted to be done actually within the body. So rather than take an organ out of the body, which obviously gets a little bit messy if you start taking out the brain and the heart and the lungs, um, this has actually been done within the body. So they're actually trying to rewrite somebody's DNA within their body. Now that, that for me, is fairly mind-blowing by itself. So um, they're... Yeah, the first patient that they've ever tried this on um, is a guy who is in California. He's a very brave guy. Um, well, yeah, a very brave guy. He's He basically said he's volunteered for it because he's been living in constant pain for um, the majority of his nah. life. So he actually has a, a disease called Hunter's Syndrome. Um, so if what, what Hunter's Syndrome is, it, it's a um, genetic disorder that prevents you from breaking down certain long-chain sugars within the body. So uh, these are called mucopolysaccharides. Uh, Yeah, basically the body. Yeah, those classics. (laughs) Yeah. So basically the body misses, doesn't have the DNA to tell it to make an enzyme that breaks down these long-chain sugars. Um, And then what happens is these mucopolysaccharides build up in the organs around the body and especially in the brain. Um, In severe cases, the disease is fatal. Um. But also what it does, it has a, a massive impairment on learning ability. So um, at the moment, this is obviously being tried in an adult, but they, if it works, they want to try it in babies because they, for every year of life, they find that babies lose around about 20 IQ points because of the build-up Wait, of these. Wait, so this guy then that they got to do this study doesn't have enough IQ to even agree to what he's... Well, so yeah, this guy's in his 40s. Um, he didn't expect to live past his 20s. I presume it doesn't just, well, I don't know, maybe whether it just turns you into a, a vegetative state at the end. I presume there must be a level where it where it stops, but there is a, there is a treatment for it. So, so you the can treatment clear currently these is sugars out of the, yeah. You yeah. can, yeah. So the, the treatment is that you inject yourself on a regular basis with the enzymes needed to break it mm. down. But obviously, it, you know, in between that, they're building up and it, it's causing damage. So basically the way this works is they, they give you an injection, into the blood, and the the injection contains um, two molecular scissors, they call them. Um, 
they call them uh, zinc finger nucleases. And basically they go in and they cut the DNA at the, the specific point that they need to, to then insert the new DNA. So the first part of the, the therapy is, right, we give you this and it cuts the DNA and bang, you've got a whole new DNA. And then the second part is we insert into that the corrected DNA. So it then tells your body, you need to produce this enzyme. Yeah. And then that gets rewritten throughout the, the body. Um, so, yeah, at the moment, this the guy I think was first treated at the start of this week. So far, he's not any adverse events to the the treatment, um, but they predict it'll be another week or two before they they see how it goes. And obviously, it, it you know it requires the DNA to to replicate itself. So, in some parts of the body, that's quite quick. In others, it's it's not. So it'll take some time. Um, but yeah, potentially, you know, if they can do this within the body, then this is a game changer for some major genetic diseases. So the company behind it are called um, Sanjamo or Sangamo, S-A-N-G-A-M-O, Therapeutics. Uh, and they've got two other therapies in their pipeline. So they've got one for um, hemophilia type B and then another one for Hurler syndrome, which is actually, I have to go and look up what Hurler syndrome is. It's actually very similar to Hunter syndrome, um, but it's an autosomal recessive um, version of Hunter syndrome. So Hunter syndrome is X chromosome linked, um, whereas Hurler syndrome is autosomal recessive. Um, so they've got they've already got two potential theories in the pipeline. Um, but yeah, one to watch. I think maybe this is one I'll keep an eye on the the scientific channels for, and we'll maybe give a report back to see how this is going because this uh, this one for me it's particularly interesting. And I've, um, obviously, for the guy that's affected with the Hunter syndrome, even more interesting. Yeah, but, well, let's see how yeah, the old to, chap does, eh? Yeah, to rewrite somebody's DNA within their own body—that's that's fairly amazing. That is that is a game changer because I mean we've always talked about like you say, like they've been able to do with bone bone marrow because you well a that's a source of stem cells, right? So you can remove yep. those stem cells change what you need to change and inject it back in and hope that those stem cells then proliferate into what you want. Or you have to do it in embryos, right? Which is, that's, you know, that's, this is, and we've talked about that. But yeah, to be able to be like a fully grown adult and be like, oh, you have this, this defect. Let's just go in and snip yeah. it out and, and, and put yeah. the new thing in. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I guess the, the, we'll wait and see as to whether it, it holds right like whether it gets picked up because that's the thing is like you yep. might you might snip you know snip the dna that's that's there that's existing right now when you inject it and put the right gene in so you get the new gene in but then when the when you when the when that cell goes to divide and replicate that dna will will it revert back to the old or will it stay will it fall in? Out? yeah will the body see it as far yeah. in yeah so there's so many I, th I think yeah there's so many things i think the the and the researcher was saying the precursor is there. The fact that we can do this outside of the body shows that the technology can work. Yeah. You know, and there's there's cases of people that have been given terminal diagnoses with leukemia that are now fully cured with no trace of leukemia. Yeah. So they're saying, look, we, we know we can do this outside of the body. Now we have to find a way of doing that inside of the body for cases, you know, like this. So, yeah, an interesting one to watch. So, yeah. Uh, well, and I think that'll yeah. be a big thing because it is like then you're not looking at, like you said, doing it in stem cells or embryos. You're doing it in fully formed cells. And I think that's yeah. the big thing, you know, is you don't have to go back to the, you know, the, the originals or the, you know, the undifferentiated cells, the stem cells and stuff. You can 
things that are already functioning and turned into whatever tissue they're going to turn into. If you could get that to stick, yeah, that's huge. I mean, and then that's, you know, leads us into the whole, yeah, you want a different hair color? Take a shot. It'll change yep. your, your DNA to give you brown hair or, you know, wow. all these other things. You know, So this gets into the real freaky. You know, it's like we're not designer babies. We're designer people from day to day, from week wow. to week, whatever the fuck you want to be. You want scales? Yeah, buddy. You want to be female this weekend? Not a problem. Yeah. You want to be male? Not a problem. There you go. So There you go. And I think about all those people that already do like weird tattoos that make and like eye modifications and tongue modifications that make them into lizards. You know, you ever see these people? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, like we could have like a brand new species, lizard people. I mean, of course, yes, the alien lizard people are already here controlling the world governments. Well, that, and they, no, that, that's, that's cut to the chase. We could have Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Even better. Yeah. We can screw around with, I've got a forked tongue, I'm like a lizard. Screw that, buddy. I am Spider-Man. Yeah, and Spider-Man always beats the lizard. Everybody knows that. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Pretty wild. Pretty wild shit, man. So anyway, well, I think I've set you... I think I've... Yeah, I think I've set you up quite well there, Flash. So you you try and find a segue between designer babies, designer humans, into your next story. I think this is a fairly simple one. Off you go. (laughs) <laughs> okay well i'll set you up then so designer babies test tube babies what else could we do in test tubes flash what possibly could we do brains ah there we brains. go freaky Seems science you do with some yourself this is but, this is yeah. this is more freaky science. freaky science this is more freaky science okay uh, and what a way to wrap up so talk just, us through your freaky science we're just yeah we're just continuing with the uh with this trend of blowing your mind um so, have you ever heard of something called an organoid? Uh, was that unlike one of these Martian horror movies? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of it before. But apparently, these things have been around for about four years. And what they are is little brain blobs. Little human brain blobs. So, they were able to make these blobs of human brain tissue keep them sort of alive and functioning i guess inside a test tube so they're just like you know maybe like two millimeters you know not very big at all but they're just they're a packet of brain cells that you know send what, what, stimuli what have they made them from stem cells stem cells. what do you okay. what do you make anything from stem cells obviously well i don't know i made a spaghetti bolognese earlier there were no stem cells in that yeah, that you know of well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. World okay. government, so chemtrails, okay. lizard people putting GMO stem cells in your spaghetti bolognese. Mind blown, or maybe that's just the <laughs> but, Okay. Yeah. So, so, they, okay, so these... they take stem cells and then they, they make it a brain blob? Yeah, a brain blob. It's called an organoid. So they got these little like okay. brain blobs. They pulse, they grow neurons, they have electrical activity. Um, and they basically you know made these things because they're perfect for brain research, right? You can fuck with them you can do things to them and you can what with them fuck with them mess with them well that surely that's what you have a partner for or you know a rubber <laughs> dog whatever you're into man um okay but yeah like it's these little testable mini brains basically that you can you know uh, test things on so it's perfect for research um obviously you could see as this research progressed 
the obvious ethical questions that would arise from growing mini brain tissue blobs inside of a test tube. Um, and yeah. everyone was kind of like, yeah, okay, you know, we're never at a point where these are going to become conscious. They're so little, you know, they're not, they don't have um, blood vessels going into them. So we can't grow them big enough that they would actually be a brain, you know, like we, like we would think right. to become conscious. But turns out that the, dun, day, the dun, days dun. of freaky science uh, are, are, are swiftly upon us because at this year's uh, Society for Neuroscience conference, which is like the biggest um, conference in neuroscience yeah. in the U.S., there was a New Orleans. It's held in. It's, it flips between New Orleans and Florida. I think. New Orleans, Washington and San Diego, actually. Nice try, though. Um, and this year it's in Washington. Um so yeah, so they, there was been a, there was a number of presentations. There was at least two presentations where people revealed groundbreaking research with organoids that was like people were like what? Because I guess in this when you're doing this kind of research, you know, for competitive reasons and for reasons of ethics and whatnot, it tends to be kept pretty close to the vest. So when uh, when people you know started to tease out their results here and just put snippets out. It, it, it sent some ripples through the community and it's pretty wild shit. So what they've been doing is, uh, actually putting these into rodents. You're not allowed to, to experiment with uh, embryos and humans and stuff, obviously, but it's like, well, let's, let's take these tiny little brain, uh, human brain bits and uh, throw it in a mouse and see what happens. Uh, which, you know, as you do. And so they put it in there, they put it in the mouse and it actually started to grow. So the axons, which are like the wiring of the brain from the brain blob, from the organoids started to grow throughout the host brain and form connections and all this kind of stuff, uh, which is, you know, another whole set of ethical questions about making human-ish or human-conscious type rats. Um, there was another guy that he put them into the visual cortex of rats. So it was specifically into right. the vision section of the brain. Uh, and again, it grew and it branched out uh, up to... So the original brain blob was like two millimeters big. And the axons that grew out of it and meshed with the rat brain were 1.5 millimeters long. So it's like almost doubling its its length there. Um, so so they, so they think there's a limit to how big it can get without the blood vessels? Exactly. That's always been the, like, is like the, when they're growing them in test tubes and stuff, it's been, they, they don't grow bigger because they don't have right. the necessary nutrients and stuff, right? Um, right. So, but when you put it into a, a brain with a fully functioning vascular system, uh, it looks like it does pretty well. And so it moved out through, through from the visual cortex, uh, moved into other brain structures like the corpus callosum, which is the part of your brain that connects right and left hemisphere. Um, and then they actually, so then they did tests where they, you know, sh- uh, put a, a light on the rats and shone a light in their eyes. And they were able to see that the parts of the brain that were human, that were the the brain blob, were lighting up. They were firing. So they were functioning. They they actually integrated into the brain and were working. So the part of the visual cortex that was human blob brain was lighting up when you put a a little flashlight in the right side. So it's 
in the rat's eye. So it, it was working. So, you know, and then this is obvious, you know, has obvious ethical implications, you know, what, what's, what's going on with these rats? Are they, if you did this and obviously it's not at this level yet, the, the scientists were like, no, we're not worried about creating, you know, ultra conscious or hyper conscious rats that become self-aware and human and all this stuff because they're adding tissue to an already formed brain. So it's like yeah. the, the rat is already the rat. It already has its rat brain. You're just adding a little, you know, a little chunk to it. So the guy was like, yeah, the guy was like, if anything, we're probably impairing the rats more than we're enhancing them, which I don't know. I think you would say that if you were getting questioned as to why you're being such a mad scientist. Um, but, you know, like, what would this lead to something of like a, a, a human consciousness trapped inside of a rat body? You know, that, that, ex, you know, when the experiment gets to the end point and now you've got oh, like gosh. a human Oof. consciousness trap, it's kind of like when we talked about the, the growing human organs and pigs and if human DNA got yeah. into the pig brain and then you have pig man, well, this might be rat man or you just have enhanced rat consciousness to the point where it's like we, it's not, it's no longer ethical to experiment with them or it wouldn't even really be ethical to create that <laughs> you know there's a number of, of of problems there but then the next thing is okay so you have the the animal side but what about when you grow these things in dishes what if you could grow it large enough that you have a brain in a dish that then is conscious could could you do that a la Futurama when they have the brains floating and you know the oh, heads floating in yeah, you know saying, jars yeah. and stuff. So could this could you go there? I mean, this is the next obvious crazy question that you think of. And like I said before, it's it's always been a matter of size and vascularization. It's always a matter of size. Don't don't kid yourself. It's always a matter of size. Um, see, I d see, I didn't even make the joke for that one. I just laughed yeah. and I just let you. <laughs> Bang that one in if you pardon the pun. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. But yeah, so it's like what makes a human brain conscious? Like a, like a rat brain uh, is made up of the same material as a human brain. But why are we? Why do we have this? You know, seemingly higher level of awareness and consciousness than than rats and other lower, you know, animals do. And and it is. It does seem to be you know size and complexity of the brain right so then if the constraint on the brain brain blobs in the tubes is size and complexity and lo and behold of course somebody's tackling this problem now too so there's been a guy who's been able to fuse two brain blobs together whereas one kind of simulates the forebrain and one simulates the bottom right. brain so you get like a sort of even closer to a, a, a mini brain happening. And then there's a guy at MIT that is working on a system to vascularize these things so that you could actually connect enough of them together to get like a mouse brain or, you know, beyond. Right, right? Yeah, that's what... So they have like a system of tubes, you know, that they're working on to run through these things and deliver you know, simulated blood, you know, oxygen and nutrients and stuff. So, so anytime where it's like, well, yeah, but 
it wouldn't become conscious because it's not big enough. There's some guy being like, yeah, well, I'm working on making it bigger. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and technology normally gets smaller, but in this case, you want it to get bigger. Yeah, that's, I think for me, the interesting, the interesting and the fascinating part is that they've shown the, the brain reacting to stimulus and therefore growing bigger affects it. You know, is it growing bigger just because of the stimulus or because it's learning how to deal with that stimulus? Right. I guess, obviously. You the, know, the one that they put in the rat. Yeah, and and the one with the the um, light sensitive cells. What that? Yeah, that to me is. Yeah, yeah. They they had a one. They had a brain in a dish, and uh, they attached it to retinal cells. Yeah, and it right. uh, so that they could perceive light. I guess like so. You got a, a brain in a dish with rudimentary eyes. Like so. Yeah, it would be trained. It it must be training. You know, but I guess. Yeah, but I guess this shows you it's like the brain cells, like when you put it in the rat, it, they just know what to do, right? Like they they form right. networks with their peers because it's like one of us. Yeah, that's what that's we do. What we do yeah. You know, so and I mean that that's where the real like that's what the guys who are doing this are like. This is a ther this is a therapy. So for brain injury, for Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, like anything where there's like brain destruction or brain atrophy, we can inject these things in, and they basically replace the the damaged tissue right like that's that's the goal of it well that's what they say the goal of it we all know well, the yeah, goal is to then, grow a conscious brain in a dish yeah and then put it into some cyborg type organism totally that's wild what would a brain well, in a, what, what would, would like a brain to... in a dish like let's say it becomes aware like what would that even be because consciousness would is shaped by your stimulus right like who you are is shaped by your environment and what comes in. Yeah. So it would need these, you would have to connect it with some sort of way to interact with the, with the world. See, what I'd like to know is what does our Italian head transplant professor think to all of this? Dude, we got to get in. Cause effect, we got to get an interview. With him. <laughs> yeah. Cause effectively he's like, well, if I don't hurry up and get this head transplant to work, I'm going to be out of a job because some fuck is just going to grow a brain in a test tube and stick it on top of somebody. And then I'm out of a, uh, Somebody needs to make a conference for like this kind of shit, you know, like the wackiest, like <laughs> all your peers said you were crazy conference. Now you have a it's chance. It's like the wacky race. It's like, it's like the cannonball run. You you put a call out to all your, your network of wacky Frankenstein-like doctors. Right, come, yeah. come in. We're going to discuss crazy, yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy shit. Everyone else won't doesn't have time for you and doesn't want to listen to your crazy shit. Well, yeah, you know we what? We want you here. Yeah, you can be amongst your other crazy, you know, fellow, yeah, you know, crazy people. I don't know. I think it's I think it's awesome. Like I think it's really cool, and I want to see your brain in a dish, and I want to see it come to life, and I want to see what its first words are going to be. <laughs> oh. Well, not yeah. <laughs> you think he's going to look up at you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's going to look up and be like, "What have you done?" <laughs> no, I think that's wild. I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, obviously, again, there's the very, very practical element of it at there this is, stage. And, and, but then, as you said, there's the whole ethical element of it as well, isn't there? Of well, should we be screwing around with this? Yeah, and you of know, course. at what point? Well, obviously, we should yeah. be, and if, even if we're not, even if we're, even if we're not doing it legally, we should be doing it in a back street corner somewhere. Yeah. But, but eth- yeah, at what point do you turn around and say enough is enough? You know, we can't. But how do you know we can't continue down this road because 
Well, that's the thing. Yeah, how do you know when enough is enough? In at what stage? Until it until okay, it well, comes alive and says, "Hey, why are you poking me like that?" You know, yeah. poke away. Get the fuck yeah. off me, man! What's he doing? Yeah, <laughs> and then it's too late, obviously. But is it too late, or maybe you just have a sweet new brain buddy? Like, what if the brain, the brain people that we create, like, you know, are awesome and they're really sweet dudes? Wow. Yeah. What if you gave him little, like, you know, like speakers so he could, so the the growing brains could listen to things and then you just let them listen to like really chill music. So they come out as just like little brains with like jazz goatees that are just like, yeah. Or you, you know, you play a bit of tragically hip, and they come out Canadian. Fucking even better, eh? Wow, is it? Really? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and I think like thirty million people would agree with me. Are there that many Canadians? Yeah, Thirty-three. Jesus, you're like a virus. <laughs> <laughs> well, but there might be a lot more if we create a bunch of brain Canadians. Well, yeah, but then you might all get taken over by a fungus. So. <laughs> It could be a lot less of you. Yeah, there's. I think there's a lot to think about here, Brad. A lot to think about. There is. Well, in in many ways tonight, Flash, you've you've blown my brain, blown my head. So, given where we are with time, I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize where we've been today. Let's do it. On, Let's uh, wrap up this wonderful journey. And I'll, and I'll come back. Uh, so yeah, where have we been today? So well, firstly. Next time you smell something odd, uh, maybe it was last night's curry, or potentially one of us has malaria. So you maybe want to get that investigated. That's that's the first thing we've. Or covered. we've been blazing sweet blockchain um, weed in the back room. Well, again, maybe that's it as well. Um, next time you you have mushrooms, just think: is this thing going to take me over and in the middle of the night blow my head clean off? Just might, just might. Well, yeah, and then. You know, lastly, I think, you know, next time you get a headache, think, do I take some paracetamol for that? Do I take some ibuprofen? Or should I just plug in the new brain and get rid of this one that's hurting? Maybe I need a little rack of test tubes by the side of the bed. That one's good to go. I'll plug that one in today. Just get your little brain incubator right next to your, yeah. Yeah. Well, well I don't, and I don't know if it ever spread out to the UK, but growing up as a kid, there was a program here called Wurzel Gummage that was about a scarecrow. Um <laughs> So it's played by a man called John Pertway, brilliant series. Um, but a scare, you know, obviously scarecrow, but he had different heads. So when he wanted to do a bit of thinking, he'd unscrew his scarecrow head and put his thinking head on. <laughs> and when he wanted to do some dancing, he'd take his thinking head off or his scarecrow head off. So maybe that will come. We'll get our Italian head transplant professor. We'll have some sort of quick release system in yeah. the neck. We've caught a turn. Right. I'm doing some deep thought on parasitology today. I might plug this one in. Right. No, doing astrophysics. Well, we better plug this one in then because we need... Hey, maybe you could because each brain that you grew, you could, you know, determine what stimuli went into shaping that brain and so what it would be good at. Exactly. I love it, man. I love it. I love this wacky world. We are on the cusp of some crazy shit. And I couldn't be happier. Well, who was it once? Somebody once said everything that's been invented, everything that can be invented has been invented. How... Wrong they were. We've now got the internet. We've got cat memes, you know, and now we've got wacky shit like this. Yeah. It's, the future is bright, my friend. The future is bright and the present is always the best time to be alive. So uh, I I couldn't be well, happier right now. Well, I, I can't see what you're doing, you know, below waist height, <laughs> but, you know, whatever's making you happy, Flash, you just keep doing it, my friend. Yeah. Um, 
Flash, it's been a pleasure. For the listeners out there, if you want to get in touch with us, then uh, we're on Twitter at 2 brad for you You can get in touch with me individually if you want to book me for you know, comedy gigs or shows or whatever. <laughs> Uh, then it's at Bradley W. Hayes. Flash, if they want to hook up with you in some way, shape, or form, remember, ladies and men, he is a now married man. But if they want to hook up with you, how do they get in touch with uh, you? Yeah, Twitter at B. Van Perda. I forgot what it was there. For you have to think yeah. about that. You, you, you need to put your Twitter brain on. <laughs> yeah, that growing in the I guess. I never Twitter myself, so. Well, <laughs> I don't know. What you, you Canadians have a lot of long, dark nights, so what you do to yourself is really down to you, Flash. Flash, it's been a pleasure. It's been it's been too long, and listeners, we apologise for that. We will be back on a more regular basis now. I hope going forward. Yes, right on, man. Um, yeah, and um, you know, as we said, we we hinted before, we are on iTunes, we're on Stitcher. Please subscribe. Please download. Uh, Give us a comment. Push us up that chart. Yeah, comments would be good. Some feedback is always. Give welcome. us a comment. Rate it. Star system, whatever it is they have. Give us a thumbs up. Yeah. Much appreciated. Yeah, very much so. Flash, it's been a pleasure. Until next time. All right, my friend. Uh, Yeah, always a good time. Can't wait to see you again. Stay safe. Stay well. You too. Later. No wonder you're self-employed. Nobody would give you a fucking job. <laughs> oh, I got a quick question for you. What is the about o- twelve inches? <laughs> what's the what's the proper order for making like a good cup of tea? You don't put like um, you don't put like milk and sugar in like with the tea bag. You put that in after, yeah. Um. Yeah. So, do you want to make a cup of tea or a pot of tea? Well, hit me with both. Okay, so if you're going to make a cup of tea, then tea bag in a cup or mug, boiling water, and it has to be boiling water, not just tepidly hot. Yeah. Um, and then leave it to steep for as long as you you want. So um, does steeping involve like moving the tea bag up and down in the in the? No, I would to steep. You would just leave it there to. But I, to so sh- I like to dunk it a bit you know like it's a movement i feel like then that's when the water actually changes color yeah yeah you can do so that that to me would accelerate the steeping process so if i'm making a cup of tea for me then i'll leave it to steep for about five minutes yeah but if i don't have five minutes then i'll dunk the shit out of it for one or two minutes yeah yeah to try and speed up the process uh and then the milk so that that for me would be a cup of tea now pot of tea 
would be the old rule of thumb is um, a tea bag for everyone that's having a cup of tea plus one for the pot. Yeah. Um, again, boiling water. You might want to pre-hot, preheat your pot first, and then this is where this is where the milk or comes in first. So traditionally, tea in a posh restaurant or hotel or cafe would be served in bone china cups. And if you pour hot things into bone china and it's cold, it tends to smash. Yeah. Um, so if you're serving it in bone china, then that's when you would put the milk in first and then pour the tea in so that it's not boiling and doesn't shatter the cup. Um, but I would, because very few people use bone china now, I would put the tea in and then the milk in so you can control it a little bit. Wow. Fascinating. Oh, I, we could have our own podcast on this, my friend. <laughs> tea party. Although I have, to, I have to say, the tea in Canada was the best outside of the UK I've ever had. Oh, there you go. We do have that British connection, you know. Yeah, it was noticeable. The like I bought, I can't remember which supermarket chain was we went to, and I just bought like the the compliments range. I think it is that probably tells you what. Yeah, our compliments. Some, That's the Safeway brand. Yeah. Um. And that that was really nice. It was like, wow, like you know, I would take this back home. Fuck, yeah, there you go. Because our coffee is pretty shit. Um, see, that's the thing. I know your coffee shit because I like it. <laughs> the Tim Hortons. <laughs> um, yeah, because I'm not a big coffee drinker. So it's like when I go to the US and all my colleague, all my European guys, are like, oh, the coffee here is shit. Yeah. I'm like, no, I really like it because it doesn't. I guess because it doesn't taste overly of coffee. But. Yeah. Compared to European people.